This message was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire, a contemporary Christian church in the north of England. Learn more at lifelanks.org. Wow. It's brilliant to be here. I've never been in this venue before. It's good here, isn't it? Like it. I am. Um, just let's get it over and done with. Yes, I do have the same shirt on as I've got in the video. Because you were all secretly judging me, weren't you? Oh, look at him. He's only got one shirt. Look at him. Well, let's get that over and done with, yeah? Same shirt, yeah? And on Thursday, I'll be wearing the same. No, I won't. I won't. Going to wear a different shirt because that is terrible. Um, no, it's absolutely brilliant to be here. And um, I love it. I was really enjoying the worship and praise. And that is great because I get to travel all over the country and I go to lots of churches and I'm like, it's not great here. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, when you get up after someone's led worship on a banjo, yeah, and you're like, that is not praise and worship. That is demonic, yeah? That is an attack against the church. And uh, so it's been good this morning just to be in the... Uh, good. I like it when people are looking thinking, oh, this is going to be a rocky journey. This sermon, what's going to happen? It's all good. It's good. Um, I'm, I've got a wife called Tamsin. She's amazing. And I've got a son called Jordan. He's 22. And I've got a daughter called Kezia. And Kezia just went to Canada to do um, some kind of like a school of evangelism. And we were like so excited that she was going, but we love Kezia. So we were like, ah. Oh. So the week leading up to Kezia leaving, Tamsin, my wife, was just crying all the time. Every day she was crying. And so I had to kind of like be the dad of the house and I had to say, listen, Tamsin, when we drop Kezia off at Heathrow, you need to be smiling and waving and like, oh, what a great adventure. Come on. Yeah, you're not allowed to cry. So we went down to Heathrow. Tamsin, me, my son Jordan, Kezia. We had this awkward coffee where we were, nobody wanted to talk about the fact that Kezia was going to be going away for a long time. I was like, ah. Oh. And then I made the biggest mistake of my life. And if you've got a journal, write this down. Never get God involved, yeah? And that was my mistake. I said, listen, guys, we need to pray. So the four of us got up into a huddle and we prayed. Oh. So as soon as we started praying, Kezia began to just weep. She's sobbing. And then my wife is like trying. Now, have you ever heard the expression ugly crying? Have you ever heard that? There's something worse than ugly crying, and that is ugly trying not to cry, yeah? It is worse. I mean, Tamsin is desperately trying not to cry, and I'm like, love, please cry. Give us all a break here. And it's like, so basically, we're there, and I am trying my best not to cry because I've laid this down. And then these big drops begin to hit the ground, and then I look to my son, Jordan, nothing, Yeah? If you can imagine a bubble up of his head, he's like Nando's. That's what he's thinking about. And when we were driving home, I was like, Jordan, why didn't you even drop one tear for your sister? And he is like, I'm getting a room, yeah? I am getting her room. Why would I cry? 
I'm like, that's good, son. Very good. Well done. And um, we, I drove home, and what I didn't know is that Kezia's plane was like held up, so we went back up to Nottingham where we live, and then I said to Tamsin, I'm going to go and get my hair cut. I was in the barbers. I'm sitting there. It was really full on a Saturday afternoon, and then my phone pings, and uh, I pick it up, not even thinking about it, and it's from Kezia. And it says, Dad, that's my plane just about to go. Here's three things that I've always wanted to tell you. And I'm reading this, and in the barbers, I start sobbing, yeah? Like proper, you know when you're doing that, <laughs> you know that crying, when you're like, <laughs> and uh, as I'm crying in the barbers, I look up, and I just see all of these men looking at me, and they are just like, you talk to him, no, you talk to him. No one... No one had the emotional equipment to deal with a sobbing Scotsman. It's just like, oh, no one. These men had never seen a man cry before. They were like, this is horrendous. But it's amazing because when the barber was finished, he looked up and he says, who's next? And all the guys went, him, let him go, yeah. He's next, he can go. So if you ever want to, like, get right quick, just start weeping, yeah? Starbucks, it works there everywhere. Just start sobbing, and you will get served very fast. I'm um, excited that I'm going to be coming back here on Thursday, and I'm really excited about what I feel God's put in my heart to speak to you about today. And I don't know if you've got a Bible, but if you've got one, I'd love you to look at John and I've got some words, an amazing Bible story in John chapter 6. And let's just look at it from John chapter 6 and verse 5. This is what the Bible says. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them, and Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they'd all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Wow. What an incredible miracle. But I feel I want to come to talk to you today, not about this amazing thing that Jesus did, not about this wonderful miracle, this powerful move of God, but I want to talk to you about something else that happened on that day. I want to talk to you about the miracle that happens before the miracle. The miracle that happens before the miracle. You see, because... I want to talk to you today about that little boy. 
And that little boy, before he'd even passed the bread and the fish over to Jesus, a miracle had already happened, and that miracle had happened inside his head. You see, what he had to do was, that little boy had to get over himself so that a miracle could happen. And you see, what I'm wanting to communicate, here I am, a Scottish guy on this Sunday morning, and I'm here to say to you today, you need to get over yourself. Oh. It's like, you need to get over yourself, because you see, everybody in this room, we're exactly like this little boy. We've got all these limiting thoughts that happen in our mind. We've got all these thoughts that are like able to stop us from seeing God do some powerful things because already our mind is an obstacle that is stopping us from seeing the miracle happen. I mean, I love this, but the first obstacle that you need to get over, the first obstacle that you need to get over is yourself. You see, I'm from a Pentecostal background, same as you. And sometimes we're like, we love to see the demonic forces and absolutely everything. I can remember being at my church in Musselburgh and this woman would come in and every week she would have a different reason why the demonic forces had come against her house. I remember her saying, oh, I got the flu on Wednesday. The devil was coming against me. And I remember thinking, wow, Satan and all his forces is spending a lot of time around that woman's house. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like he's not got anything else to do. He's just attacking that lovely woman of God. I think the best one was when she says, oh, I've got a cold sore. It's from the devil. It's like, wow, that is what the demons do these days, yeah? Cold sores. It's like, often, as Pentecostals, we think that the first thing we come against is demons and the demonic forces. But I'm here to tell you today that the first obstacle that you need to get over is yourself. You see, we need to get over our limiting thinking. We need to get over those thoughts that stop us from achieving the things that God would have us achieve. This little boy, he had three maybe limiting thoughts. The first one was he could have thought to himself, you know, this is only small. It's only a tiny little bit of fish and a tiny little bit of bread. It's only small. And he could have said, and for that reason, I, I, I'm not going to hand it over because it's, it's little, it's not much. And I believe that everyone in this room have had that moment where we thought to ourselves that what we've got to give is only small, it's only little. It's not really of any consequence. I'm sure there are other people in the room that are like this that say, oh, it's only little, it's not as good as... They've got better. Their ministry's bigger than mine. They're greater than me. I'm not as charismatic as them. I've not got as many gifts. And we can compare ourselves to the people next to us. And even worse, when I was at Bible college, there were a few other guys that were great preachers. And I would compare myself to them. I would start trying to imitate them. And I think there are people in the room that we've imitated stuff that we've thought, oh, I like that, I'm going to imitate that. And I'm wanting to speak to your soul today that imitation only leads to limitation. 
Imitation only leads to limitation because you'll only ever be as good as what you're imitating. Maybe not even quite as good as that. So let's throw the imitation away. We're not here as some kind of like, you know, I'm trying to be the same as someone else, just a poor substitute. You know, you have been uniquely and amazingly designed and created for phenomenal things. God has designed you and made you exactly the way he wanted you to be. And he wants you to shine in all that you have got in God. He wants you to be phenomenal. So don't look at what God's given and say, well, it's only small. It's not really that much. It's like, wow. Remember when you're a little kid, or, or, or maybe you've heard this before, but when your kids used to come home with a drawing and you didn't have a clue what it was as a parent, and your kids drawn this amazing drawing, and the kid's so proud. There's not many parents that would look at that and go, well, that's rubbish. <laughs> not many parents, maybe one or two, but not many. You're kind of like, oh, wow, look at that, it's a giraffe. It's not a giraffe, look at that. That's like, a, whoa, look at that. That is a drawing. And uh, the thing is, is that, you know, the truth is this, is that we wouldn't do that because we know that kid's created something and we're not going to kind of poo-poo it. And yet God, the great creator, has designed and created you. And yet we look at what, oh, it's not much. I'm not much. I really feel that some of us, we need to realize that God has designed you and made you for awesome things. And you need to go out of this place with a spring in your step, thinking, wow, God, you have made me for awesome. And then the second thing that I really feel that, like, this little boy could have done is, it's not enough to make a difference. You know, he could have looked at the thousands of people there and he could have thought to himself, the little bit of fish and the little bit of bread is not going to be enough to make a difference in this massive crowd. But the little boy had to get over himself, get past his limited thinking and understand that we have only been asked to give the best that we've got and it's God that does the miracle. It's God that does the miracle. You see, friend, I'm looking at you now and I'm saying, you know, we could say, Burnley, as I was driving in today, I was speaking in tongues in the car and I was praying for this whole area and I was praying that, you know, you would begin to see masses come to faith. I was beginning to pray that lots of people, families, businesses, you know, all kinds of things would begin to happen. And we could sit here this morning and say, well, listen, when we think of the whole Burnley area and this whole Lancashire area, look at what, what difference can we really make? Really? Just as people in this room, are we really going to make a difference? But in the incredible sovereignty of God, in the incredible maths of God, when God gets a group of people that are willing to hand over everything they've got, God will do an incredible miracle. Because it's not us that does the miracle. God does the miracle. We've just got to hand over what we've got. So I'm in the car and I'm getting excited about schools being turned around. I'm getting excited about areas of Burnley being transformed in the name of Jesus. And I'm thinking, wow, it can happen. Not because of us, but because God can use us in incredible ways. This little boy could have looked at the thousands of people. 
and then looked at his little bit of fish and bread and thought, there's not here, not enough to make a difference. And maybe you've thought it's not enough to make a difference. And I'm here to speak to your heart and your soul to say, we can make a difference because God is the one that does the miracle. He is the one that does the miracle. You see, oh guys, I'm getting excited now because my soul's beginning to leap. But I was praying in the car and I felt that there's somebody in the room that you've maybe got a song inside of you. That maybe there's someone in the room that's got a book or a business idea that's sitting inside of them. And you've got this idea, but you've got all these limiting thoughts. Oh, it's not very much. It's not good enough. It won't really make a difference. And as I'm driving in my car, God's speaking to me and saying, there are people in this room that if they hand it over to God, be amazed at what God will do with it. Be amazed at what God will do with it. You hand the business idea over to God and God explodes it in a powerful way. There's maybe someone, you've got a little creative idea and it's such a sapling, it's such a small little idea, but you hand it over to God and boom, God does a powerful thing through it. Oh, that we would get past our limit in thinking. And here's the third one and maybe I'll speak to someone's soul now, but that little boy, he could have looked at the fish and the bread and he could have thought to himself, this is only the fish and the bread that's in my mom's kitchen. This is just a bit of bread from my mom's kitchen. This is not much. This is not a big deal. This fish is, it was in the, it was in the fridge earlier. They didn't have fridges in the Bible. And uh, just so that you, before you talk to me at the end. And uh, it's like, you know, the deal is, is that we can look and we can think, I I've not got a great education. Maybe someone in the room is thinking, Mark, you don't understand. I didn't really come from a good area. I didn't really have a great education. I've not been to uni or college. Or Maybe your story is it, it's been a bit of a rough and a tumble journey. And you're here and you're thinking, oh, but this is the amazing thing. This little bit of fish and this little bit of bread that came from this back kitchen, God takes it and uses it in a powerful way. We've got to get over and beyond our past. We've got to get over and beyond where we came from and our roots. And we've got to understand that in God's thinking, he's not bothered if you came from the greatest educated house or whether your background's a little bit rough and tumble. He doesn't care about any of that. When you hand it over to God, God is the one that makes a difference. See, let, let me tell you... Uh, my mum and dad were ministers, right? My mum and dad were pastors of a church. And I went to Bible college and it was amazing. And, and I was, became a minister when I was a young guy. And then I was wanted to be an evangelist and see uh, uh, unchurched people connect with God. And I was doing lots of events, but many times most of the people in the room were Christians. And I wanted to be speaking to people that were not yet Christian. And I was like a bit confused. And my wife took me to go and see a comedian, a guy called Dave Gorman, who's not a Christian, but is a man who's very funny, and he's got messages that he's trying to communicate. And he communicates them very well. So in this theater, we're laughing, but he's also communicating his life message. And God speaks to me in that room, and God says, Mark, I want you to try and start doing that. I want you to have a go at that. 
And I'm like, God, my background is I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor's kid. I'm not a comedian. I'm a, I'm a preacher. And God says, I want you to have a go at it. We book a theater in the outskirts of Nottingham. For, it's about 70-seater theater, and we nearly filled all the seats, and quite a lot of unchurched people came. And I did the first comedy show where I did a show where we brought the evangelistic message in the middle, and we did it. There were some moments in the show that were hilarious. People were laughing. There were other moments that were horrendous. Have you ever been in a room where the tumbleweed? It was like people were like synchronized buttock clench, yeah? And people, people, you know, when people start looking at the ground, oh, that's a nice carpet, yeah, let's have a look at that. And I came towards the end, and as I came towards the end, I went for a response, and five people. Five people made a first-time response to God. And I was excited. And, and then I had asked this church leader, as church leader that I really respected, to come and sit at the back and to watch and take some notes and give me some feedback. And he came down to the front at the end, and he says, what are you doing? He goes, are you trying to be on TV? Is this you trying to be famous? He goes, Mark... This was horrible. Never do this again. He goes, there were moments in tonight's show that were just awful. He goes, I do not. Go back to preaching in churches. This is not for you. And then off he went. You know that moment where you're like, thanks for the feedback. Yeah, have you ever heard that? And off he went. And I was gutted. And in the car, we're driving home, and my wife Tamsin's talking to me, and she's excited, and she's saying, oh, it was so good, Mark, and this bit was good. And, and then I said, I'm not doing it again. She goes, what are you talking about? And I told her what the guy said. I told her what the minister said. Well, I don't know if you've ever seen your wife, husband, partner, friend, ever so angry that the vein in their neck actually comes out of the neck and wanders around the car. Have you ever seen that? She was angry. She was, listen, listen to me. I looked up to God and God was like, I would listen. Yeah, I would. God was like, I'm listening. You should listen. Yeah, yeah. I says, I'm listening. She says, Mark, Mark, it's true. She says, Mark, it's true that some of the bits that you did, yeah, some of the stories need to be changed, but we can do that. She goes, but you were engaging, people were listening, people were loving it. Five responses. She goes, we are doing it again. And we did, we changed the stories, we got some new bits in, and I started to do these shows around the country, and wow, we started to get bigger and bigger crowds. And we did it in Lincoln Theatre, and, you know, it was amazing. There was like 700 people came to Lincoln Theatre. And 120 people made a first-time response for God. 120 people made a first-time response for God. And what was amazing, I didn't know this, but that, that leader, that minister, he was in the back again. He come again, he's at the back. And at the end, he comes down, and he's coming towards me, and I see him, and he's like, oh! He says, you've got to keep doing this. This is amazing. 
And I'm listening and I'm thinking, oh, as soon as he stops talking, I am going to let him have it, yeah? I am going to, oh, if I'd listened to you, I would have stopped. I'm, I'm going to let him have it. And God was like, no, no, no. Fingers on lips. Shh, shh, shh. And so I listened and he finished. And I said, thank you, thank you. God bless you. And off he went. And now I talk about him all over the world, yeah? And you see, the thing is, if I'd have listened to that, he played right into that thing. He said to me, you are a preacher, Mark. You are a, you are, you are a, you went to Bible college. That, you belong in the church. That, he spoke to my background. He tried to remind me, he said, this is what you are. And God was saying, Mark, no, no, no. Hand it over to me and I will do the miracle. I will do the miracle. You see, you might say to God, oh God, I've not got the right background for this. Or God, I'm not. And, and God saying, no, 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 no. None of that. None of that is important. Hand it over to me and I will do the miracle. God is the one who's a miracle worker. The little boy, it doesn't matter where the fish and bread have come from. It doesn't matter if it was in the back kitchen of your mom's house. That's not important. The important thing is that you are obedient and you hand it over to God. It's important that you are obedient to God. Give him that business idea. Give him that song. Give him that creative words. Give it to God and watch what God will do. Amazing. I love this. I love this because the little boy was obedient. You see, I want to just quickly, and maybe you're going to fall out with me, and I hope you don't, but I want to speak to us Brits for a minute because we can sometimes think that holding back and not, not being everything we were created to be is humble. It's humble. I want to say to you today that holding back what you've been given is not humble, it's selfish. It's selfish. You see, if that little boy had just held on to his fish and his bread, he's not being humble. Oh, it's nothing, I'm nothing. Oh, I'll just eat it in the back corner, I'm nobody. That's not humble, that's selfish. When you hold back what you have been given in God, you're not being humble, you're being selfish. When you're like saying, oh, I can't really do anything for church because I've not got much to give. Oh, I'm British, woe is me, I'm nothing but a worm. That's not humble, that's selfish. God's designed and created you for gifts. Not so that you can be a prima donna, but so that you can give and give and give and give away and share and see. Can you imagine that little boy looking at everybody eating food? And he's like, wow, what a blessing. I'm so glad I didn't hold it to myself, but I gave it over to God. It's not humble, it's selfish. Maybe you're not on a team in church, you're asking for help and volunteers, and maybe you're holding back because you're like not feeling like you're not good enough. And it's, oh, I'm not great, I'm not, I'm not an upfront person, or I can't really do that, or I'm not a people person. Or, and you think it's humble, and God's speaking to you today and saying, it's not humble, selfish. We need to give, and give, and give, and give. And imagine the people that will be blessed because you chose to give. See, there's a incredible words in this story because the Bible says that everyone had enough to eat. Everyone had enough to eat and there were loaves and fishes left over. Basketfuls. 
I love this. This is an incredible miracle. There were teenagers at this event and there was food left over. This is a miracle. You see, what I love about this is that God is not the God of just about enough. Have you ever been to one of those weddings or parties or barbecues where there's just not quite enough food and the last people are like, oh, don't worry, our family, we'll just have a sausage roll, that's fine. That's all we want, yeah? And it's just not quite enough. And it's like, oh. You see, what I love is that God is the God of overflow. God is the God of overflow. His miracle wasn't on. The last few people were like, could you just share that chicken wing amongst you? No, 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 no. There was baskets of overflow. Blessing and blessings of overflow. And if we want to represent God well, we've got to be people of overflow. We've got to be people that are extravagant and about blessing. We've got to be people that say, oh, do you know what? I want to be someone that just gives and gives and gives away. You see, you can grip on tight to your blessings and live a life of scarcity. Or you can give your blessings away and live a life of overflow. You can hold on tight to your blessings and live a life of scarcity, just enough to make it through. Or you can live a life of overflow. And wow, you're just giving away, giving away, giving away. I am, I love this. My wife and me have started to, in restaurants, we'll like, we'll buy a couple's dinner. We'll like, that couple over there, pay them for their meal. It's brilliant, because they're looking over. When they come to pay, they're looking, do you know, I don't know them, do you? And it's like, oh, they're looking over. And listen, we're doing it. We're doing it just to be a blessing. We're not doing it as an evangelistic event. They're not looking over and I'm like, go on. Jesus died. He died for you. Yeah, you, yeah. Not doing it as an evangelistic event. Yeah, I'm doing it because I want to live a life of overflow. I want to live a life of blessing. I want to live a life just was like, wow. Three times on my journeys, I've been in a random Starbucks and the guy in front of me has paid for my coffee and I have no idea. And wow, it makes your day because you're like, I'm living the life of overflow. But if we live that life of scarcity, always just holding on tightly to our blessings and being like, oh, this is just for us. And now as I'm beginning to come to the end and I'm thinking about this message of giving and giving away, we start to think about those 12 basketfuls of overflow. And the whole idea is that everything about God, everything about the gospel is that we give away and we give away and we give away. And yet I go around churches and I see churches holding on to the gospel tightly as if it belongs to them. I go around churches where it's like, oh, we're in our little tight group and this is ours and, well, the rest of the world can go to hell. We are not part of some club, some group, some exclusive little hobby where this is ours and we hold on to it. But God's always talking about us giving away, giving away, giving away. It's like, wow, that we would become people that would give and give away. You see, 
I don't know if you've ever been involved where you, you've maybe had a few friends and there's been an inside joke. Does everybody know what an inside joke is? When there's people laughing and you've maybe said, oh, what are you guys laughing at? And they say, oh, never, never you mind. This is just like, how does that make you feel? On the outside, it makes you feel like excluded. And yet, so often this has been church. It's like the gospel's an inside joke. We all know it. We've got it. We're all talking in our little jargon and our little banter that we know about. And the world's looking over going, oh, guys, what, what? No, no, it's, this is just, don't you worry about that. It's like, if that is church. I was in a church a month ago. I was sitting on the front row. I've never done this before, but the pastor started to talk. I fell onto my knees and onto my face and I started to sob. He told the story of how the week before, one of the women in the church, she's been married to her husband for 35 years. Every Sunday she asks him to come to church. He's not a Christian. And one Sunday he turned up, he turned up in the front room and he's got a suit on. She comes downstairs, she's like, what's happening? And he says, well, you keep asking me to come to church and I'm going to come this morning. She was so excited. She went to the first service and she was serving on the teams and he was coming to the second. And she told everybody around her, he's coming, it's so exciting. And she got caught up in something and was busy. And then she came in and the service was going and she's looking for him and he's not there. And he never turned up. And then at lunchtime, they're having food and she said to him, you told me you were coming. You had your suit on. And he said this, he says, I did come. He says, I came and I came through the doors and I'll tell you where I sat. And he told her where he sat. He goes, and I was sitting there and this couple came over and said, oh, excuse me, this is our seats. We've sat here for the last 30 years. Do you mind getting up and moving? And he got up and he tried to find another seat and he couldn't find one and he got in his car and he went home. I fell on my knees and I started to sob. And the pastor said these words over the microphone. If this is the kind of church we're growing, I'm out. If that's what we're about, I'm out. I, I don't want to be part of that. You see, friends, we exist for those that are not here yet. We are here for those that have not come through the door yet. We are here for those that are desperately, desperately needing God. And you know, I want to urge you guys that, you know, on Thursday, we've got this show that I've toured around the world. We did it at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. It is funny. And your neighbors, your family, your world will laugh. They'll have fun. It will be a good event. But then there'll be this moment when the gospel is communicated and young people who have never heard of God or never really connected with God will sit there and they'll hear a message and I promise you many of them will say, do you know what, I want that. that I want to be connected to God. And we've got this opportunity on Thursday for you to bring people, for you to be texting, for you to be phoning, for you to be saying, there's this Scottish guy, he's appeared at the Fringe, he's toured it in Australia and America, he's coming to Burnley. You've got such an easy ask to get people in this room on Thursday. And we can have fun, and we can laugh, and then we can hear this beautiful message of the message that God wants to connect with you. And I would love it if you made the most of this. 
I would love it if you did everything you could do. And even if you ask six people and none of them come, I would love it that you still came so that you create part of the atmosphere so that other people who've brought people have us an easy night and we see people connect with God. It's like, wow, don't think, well, I asked four or five, nobody could come, so I'll stay at home and pray. Why not come and bring a great atmosphere and let's fill the room with laughter and see people connect with God. You see, guys, I want to speak to your soul as I'm finishing right now. And I want to say this. My son, he he came into the uh, living room a couple of months ago. And he found me sobbing in the front room. He says, Dad, what's happening? And the reason why I was weeping is because I'd been watching this video about Grenfell Tower. Do you know the tower in London that went on fire? And this footage was so powerful and so poignant. And what had happened is, is that the camera had zoomed in on this little group. And this little group had been rescued from the tower. They'd been saved. And they were in a little huddle. And they'd got on these survival blankets. You know, the foil blankets. They'd got these around them. And they were in a little circle. And the video shot. You could see that they were animated. They were agitated. They'd just come out of the tower. They were rescued. But they were pretty frenzied. And they were all talking amongst themselves. And you could see from the footage, this group, all of them, were so relieved that they were rescued. And behind them, you could see the tower was burning. And you could see people trying to get out of the tower. And this group were talking, and they were in this little huddle. And they've got these um, blankets on, and and they're, they're, they're talking about how the firemen came through the door and rescued them. And how they were saved. And wow, what an amazing story. And people were sharing the story. And then... Suddenly, one of the guys stands up. And this guy, he takes off the emergency survival blanket. And he drops it to the ground. And he starts running towards the tower. And the camera follows him. And everybody else is legging it away from the flames. And this guy, he's headed towards the tower. And then a few minutes later... They show him helping this old lady out, a fireman and this guy helping an old lady out of the tower. You see, the reason why I was sobbing is simply this, guys, is that that picture is so often the church. We are so often that little group and we've got our survival blankets on. We, I go to churches where they're like, oh, Jesus. We're just surviving till you come through the clouds. Oh, Jesus, take us away from this horrible world, this dirty, smutty world. Take us away to the glory, glory, glory. And so many churches are in their little tight huddle. And they gather around the communion table and they've got these stories of how they've been rescued. Tell us again how you were saved 47 years ago. Tell us again about your wondrous salvation story. And of course, we believe in testimony. But the church has become so obsessed by telling its story that it's forgotten that there are people 
whose story has still been written. We're in a huddle. But I'm speaking to your soul today. I'm speaking to you that we would be those who would stand up and that we would shake off the survival blanket and that we would run towards the broken and the devastated and the ruined. That, oh church, that you would go to the place where everybody else is trying to get away from. You would go to the place where everybody else is saying, oh, don't go to that housing estate. Don't get involved in that school. Don't go to that area. And there's something inside of us that we are running to the disillusioned, the broken, the disenfranchised. Ah, that you would go and speak to the person that no one else is speaking to. Oh, that you would be the one person that smiles to the weirdo on the bus. That you would be the person that actually has a minute for someone that maybe no one else has talked to them for a week. That we would live our lives, that we are running to the broken and the devastated. That this church, and I believe this already to be true, but this church would even more, that we would not be a huddle with our survival blankets on, waiting until Jesus gets back, but that we would be those that would run to the devastated and the broken. That as I'm looking out now, that some of you would be lifting up and bringing families into the house of the Lord, into rescue. That you would be bringing that single woman, the alcoholic mother, the broken businessman. That you would be bringing the devastated homeless guy. That you would be bringing them in and that they would be rescued in the name of Jesus. I don't know. I know the band are just going to just quietly play behind me, but I don't know if you know this, but if you're thinking that beautiful, lovely families are going to come into the foyer and come in and say, this is my beautiful husband who I've been married to for 30 years, and these are my two teenage kids who are beautiful. We're just looking for a savior. Does anybody know where we can find a savior? If you think that's who's out there, you ain't seen what's happening. It's devastation. There's people out there whose sexuality is completely and utterly, completely confused. And there are going to be broken people. There are going to be people that are ruined. There are going to be people that are coming in that are financially in all kinds of trouble. And that we would be those that would say, God, we run to the broken. We take the gospel to the place where we least expect it. This summer, I'm doing my show at the Edinburgh Festival because when I was 16, I went there and heard comedians ripping Jesus' name to shreds. And I sat there and said, one day I'm going to be on that stage and lift up the name of Jesus. Lift up the name of Jesus. Lift up the name of Jesus. And I'm not doing anything. I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself because we got an email through just a few weeks ago asking me to do my show in a Belfast pub that's famous, East Belfast. Pretty much every night there are fights in this pub and they've asked if I would come and do my comedy and talk about God in that atmosphere. 
Guess what? I could find 20 good reasons why I would love to come. I would love to come. But unfortunately, and God speaks to my soul. He says, Mark, run to the devastated, to the broken, to the ruined. Discover more about us at lifelanks.org and stay inspired by subscribing to the podcast via iTunes. Thanks for listening.